Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Good afternoon. And today we were discussing Mansfield Park as a whole, uh, looking at our insights as we read the book this time through. So there are three main things that I thought, well, three main characters, actually. None of them are main characters, but three characters in particular who we had different reactions to than we'd had in the past and had quite an impact in this reading. Sir Thomas, Susan, and Mr. Crawford. And I'd add another two, Julia and Mr. Yates. We may as well start with the elephant in the room and Mr. Crawford. Oh, Mr. Crawford seduced us both. He did, rather. We kept going, it's such a shame, he had so much potential, which I think shows that he's really well written, that even though we can see inside his deviousness, his intentions are not good. He plans to steal a hole from Fanny Price's heart, yet we still want him to be good, and we still kind of want him to win. Mm. I think the difference with Henry Crawford is that while his intentions aren't good, he isn't deliberately setting out to hurt people. He's not mean. He's not malicious or vindictive. He's just he's selfish. Just, he's selfish. He's egotistical. Perhaps maybe because he's never felt any deeply, so therefore he couldn't understand the impact. How, how they felt. How they felt. Yeah, because that was the issue with Mariah. I would say he completely underestimated. He expected her to get over him. Basically said, even though it's me, I don't think I'm that great. She'll be fine. Yes. And expected her to understand the game. Because it was, to him, it was all a game. He wanted to collect all the pretty girls. Mm. And Mary says something about that, basically, when he's at Mansfield. You know, you got her cousins, be happy with the cousins, and he almost is like, but I want the matching set. Why can't I have Fanny as well? <laughs> yes, all three of them, yes. I'll just put them in my pocket and take them away. I have read, it was a teen book that was based on Mansfield Park, and she did end up going with the Mr. Crawford character. And when you compare his treatment of Fanny, just of Fanny, if we don't look at the Mariah thing, his treatment of Fanny compared to Edmund, Edmund doesn't come off looking too hot. He spends a lot of the book neglecting her. I think what I like about this book particularly is I don't believe there's actually any caricatures, but there are characters well, they're very human, aren't they? They're they all very have human. faults. So at the beginning of the book, it's quite clear that Edmund thinks of Fanny as his sister. And as a sister that he's always been able to talk to, has looked up to him, with whom he's always felt open. He's never seen her attraction for him. He's only ever seen it as she loves him like a sister. So perhaps him pulling away from her a little bit is almost a natural thing that men do when they find a wife. They pull away a little from their family as they form their own family. Absolutely. Now, you could regard him as being obtuse. That is what he's like. And I think particularly because, unlike Tom, he's not a man of the world. He's been studying. And he's been studying for his ordination. And I don't believe he's experienced any infatuation or love up till now so he's completely and utterly blown over the exact same could be said about mr crawford he's never actually really felt these things for people before so he's completely blown over the difference with mr crawford is he's dabbled 
He's been a naughty boy. He's he's flirted with everything with a skirt, basically. Whereas Edmund is not a character who does flirting. Which Mary finds a little lacking in him, I think. Both lacking and also he's a bit of a challenge for her. Initially, he's not sort of fawning all over her. But she does like to be the centre of attention. So I think that's all, again, when the book goes on, she recognises that he's not going to give up his chosen vocation just because she doesn't like it. So yes, you could argue that she does see that as a failure on his part. So I wonder whether Mr. Crawford seduced us because he's so well written that he can seduce us through the page, despite us knowing how devious he is, or whether it is the current trend that you mentioned earlier of rakes making the best husbands in lots of Regency and Georgian romance novels reforming to make excellent husbands. Up until the point we realise he doesn't go back to his estate, there's a sense of hope that he is reforming. And then he screws it up. Yes. I have heard that there is a very old alternate ending to Mansfield Park, obviously not written by Jane Austen, where Mr Crawford does come through and ends up marrying Fanny because people were like, no, but it needs to have this. Possibly from like 100 years ago. So hard to get hands on, and I cannot even remember the name of it. Well, you're used to the sort of big event finishing off the book. You know, the climax of the book is they all get married and live happily ever after. I mean, they do all get married and live happily ever after. But it's not really... No, we don't get to see it. We get told about it. It feels like an epilogue. Again, she's really good at writing final chapters that feel like epilogues. Yes, and it is really an epilogue. I just had this thought pop in my head with Mr. Rush was saying, he's just a little man. <laughs> he's short. He's short. Maybe that's, and that's why part he's of so why charming. He's charming because he's making up for the lack of height. I read an article that was pointing out that that's a class thing as well because people of a higher class therefore had better nutrition, therefore would grow more so were tended to be taller. So the upper classes tended to be taller than the lower classes. They had more protein doesn't necessarily work here because... We know Mr. He's Crawford is a gentleman. Yes. He's not an aristocrat. He's a gentleman and he has an estate. But his estate is only one-third of Mr. Rushworth's. Yes, but Mr. Rushworth is still only a mister. And he does have a mother. Yet she was trying to not actually dominate in the marriage. She did go and leave and live in Bath or something when they first got married, didn't she? Yeah, but then she came back. That's another bit that feels a bit, like, pushed, because she did go to live in Bath, but then she came back to London to be with them and... Keep an was... eye on them, I think, because she would have heard rumours. Ah, uh, you think that's what I it was? I think that's what it would have been. So you brought up several times in recent chapters that Mr Yates, although... If what did you say, flippity gibbet or something? Yeah, flippity gibbet. Flippity gibbet actually has genuine affection for Julia and continues to pursue her in a non-pressuring way for months. She's the brains of the pair. There's no doubt about that. She saw through Henry Crawford. Twice she went, no, I'm not doing this. Yes. When it came to Mr. Crawford, once at Mansfield and once in London. Yes. The general feel is that she panicked and ran off with Yates. 
but she does seem to have more brains than we tend to give her. And it is hard to see Mr. Yates as a serious character because he is a comedic character as well. The same with him on the stage in Mansfield Park and him almost ranting as Sir Thomas walked in is hugely comical and is going on and on about how great Lover's Vows is completely unaware of what's going on around him. It's really funny. But that doesn't mean he's not also three-dimensional. It just seems a bit of a nit. But maybe like Tom, he's never had any responsibilities or responsibilities that he's willing to mm. stand up to. So he hasn't really grown up. They run in the same sort of set. Yes. And they're just too busy having fun. You could imagine them down at Courtney Place on a Friday night, couldn't you? They're the drunk boys. Yeah. Or boy races. Yeah, so I don't think this reading really changed much of our views of main characters very much, but side characters, yes. Sir Thomas we talked about quite a bit. He's become my favourite character in the book. I can feel for him as a parent, I think. So perhaps it's our maturity that makes us see him in a different way? In the past, we've probably read it from Fanny's perspective, and he's always seemed really distant and a little bit scary. Mm. And then we get his daughter's perspective and Tom's perspective where he's just the authoritarian parent. He's the killjoy as far as they're concerned. But actually, he isn't really. To Fanny, it was a relief when he came home and stopped the theatre. Yes. Despite her still being quite terrified of him. He grows. We were talking about that in the Mm. last chapter. He gets to grow through the book. He goes from quite distant to wanting to be more involved in his family's life. Hugely missing them while he was away and so disappointed by his reception when he got home. Yeah, imagine that, like you got on an early ship to come home to surprise them and then you walk in and you're like, why is there like a hole in my wall? <laughs> yes. Who the hell is this idiot? Yes. <laughs> and all the while being really polite to him while wanting him to leave. Because he's ever a gentleman. I can't tell this young man to fuck off however much I want to. It makes sense him drawing back from intimacies with the parsonage, wanting to just focus on his family for a little bit. But they see it as a restriction. And yet it doesn't stop Mr Crawford paying lots of visits, does it? I do love that in Fanny he finds a real daughter. That he gets a reward. And he gets to have a happy ending. He will probably always beat himself up about what happened with Mariah. And probably to a certain extent Julia too, because she would have wished a better husband for him. Although Mr. Yates was not as bad as he thought he was going to be. But yes, it wasn't necessarily the best she could have done. Tom turned out to be better than he was possibly originally going to be. And he was always proud of Edmund, but now he gets to be proud of Fanny too. Perhaps Fanny has replaced Mariah as his daughter? I'm not sure about replaced so much as I think his daughters to a certain extent, they were unknown to him. They portrayed a particular persona, but there was always that distance. So it's not really a question of replace so much as she filled a vacuum. I can imagine Mariah in her isolation feeling resentful that Fanny has perhaps usurped her position. Or is that Susan's now? Shall we move on to Susan? I think I commented when we were reading the book that it had always felt weird to me that Susan was introduced towards the end, 
that Fanny had never spoken about her before or written letters to her. But she becomes quite important, but only really still in the background. We do get to know Susan quite well, but we're told about her rather than learning about her ourselves. There's a lot of description about where she is in the family and the role she has taken, her frustration with the family role. She's immediately seen as a more assertive character than Fanny. Which in her household in Portsmouth makes her a nag. But when she comes to Mansfield, it makes her an asset. I don't feel like we get to know her personally. Fanny, I think, kind of ignores her a bit too. Even when she's right in front of her. She does eventually learn to care for her and she starts reading books with her. But then she gets distracted by Mr Crawford and what's going on at Mansfield and then turns back to Susan. And it's made very clear that she turns back to Susan, which makes it sound like she has been neglecting her. Is that fear? I remember the age difference, for starters. About five years? and Fanny was never a really open character. So she wouldn't be able to say anything about Edmund or how how she feels about Edmund or even how she feels about Henry Crawford. A lot of the distance, I think, is because there's things that she just can't say. So it's not like she's going to be having a sisterly chat, which you often have when you've got two sisters are about the same age. I think that props up a lot in Jane Austen's novels that characters are keeping things to themselves that you wouldn't expect in modern novels, that they would have some confidant that they would talk to about their feelings. We have Lizzie not telling Jane about seeing Mr Bingley. But you have to remember in those days, you had a very small circle, and there was a risk in telling some people some of these things. Also because you couldn't get away from them, you couldn't move away from your society. You could wish you hadn't said anything, but you were still going to be sitting down to dinner with them. Yeah, you can't really shit-talk someone when they're in the next room. And also was not a culture that encouraged people to bear their souls. In fact, often people who seemed to bear their souls could be ridiculed. There are some who would say that English society is still a bit that way. Which is interesting when you look at some of the crap on television. Terrible, terrible dating programme where they choose based on the naked body. Naked attraction. Naked attraction, yes. It's lovely that Susan gets a happy ending too. And we can see her being built up to be a character who will fit in really well at Mansfield, which I never noticed before. And I think this is really important because with the departure of Mrs Norris and Fanny going to be going off and living with Edmund, there needs to be somebody who's going to be in charge, keep Lady Bertram on track, keep the servants on track and ensure that Sir Thomas is looked after. It's almost a dream come true for Susan. I imagine it absolutely is. You say that she never wrote. Fanny would have written to her mother, but never got many replies. I would never say that Fanny didn't try to keep the contact, but there's only so much you can do when it's one way. And she didn't know Susan. And I guess it's really different because William was away from his family, so he would want contact, whereas Susan and the rest of the family were still with their family. So to them, it wasn't important because they had their family. And they didn't really know Fanny, whereas William and Fanny were always very close. Mm -hmm. They were of an age. So if there's five years difference, Susan would have been four when Fanny left. And she wouldn't have any real memories of Fanny at all. And certainly not old enough to write letters. No. 
and Mrs. Price would never have made the effort. Basically, it was out of sight, out of mind as far as Mrs. Price was concerned. That reminds me of Persuasion and Captain Wentworth and how he got Dick Musgrove to write letters home even when he wasn't asking for money. You got the impression that it was a requirement that he write home because when he wasn't with Captain Wentworth, they only got letters asking for money. Yeah, so I think the relationship with Fanny and Susan would have taken time to build. She was still suffering a bit of shock when she first arrived. The noise got to her, the permanent arguments, until she solved out with her own knife for Betsy, who basically I would have clipped round the ears really quickly. <laughs> it's a precocious child. Yes. Quite painful living in that household, and you'd do almost anything to get out of it. Mm. You could see, had Fanny grown up there, her being very sick her whole life, or marrying the first person that came along to just get out of there. We have to finish up with Mrs Norris. Bette Noir, the black beast, who was so indispensable at the beginning and so dispensable at the end, who didn't change at all, but the perceptions of her changed significantly. Sue Thomas suddenly realises that she's a pain in the ass. And goes, how did I not notice before? Has she changed a lot? And I think it's because, as we were talking about, when he came home, he wanted to be more embedded in family life. What has to be remembered is that his daughters had not really become adults very long before he left. No. So they'd come of age and had this freedom. And all of a sudden it was taken away, this entertainment. And they were back to these long, boring evenings in front of the fire, no dancing, no plays, no no social company. Mrs Norris is a nasty character. She does victimise Fanny for no good reason. No, everything she does is to make herself look better. There's no reason for Fanny not to have a fire. No one will see that. Why does it matter? Only because she can. She is the epitome of a bully. She bullies Fanny, she belittles her in front of people. There's no mention of it, but I wouldn't put it past her being potentially physically abusive to Fanny as well. I don't know that she needed to be, really. She made her life so miserable. And then she gets her fairy tale ending because she's the baddie, so she gets a bad end. She is stuck living with Mariah, who does not listen to her, who does not care for her, and who is spiteful about everything that's happened. Who doesn't seem to appreciate everything that Mrs Norris has done for her. She loves Mariah and everything she did, she did it for Mariah, or so she thinks. And it's just turned to custard and Mariah is totally, not only unappreciative, but resentful. Because if Mrs Norris hadn't really pressured and encouraged the relationship with Mr Rushworth, would have driven Mariah down to essentially refuse to give him up. Because it was sort of drilled into her that marriage was important and marrying someone of specific rank or value was important and she's certainly not getting that from her mother. Lady Bertram is pretty well a non-event but she's a softer, gentler character with Mrs Norris there. She was always going to be secondary, she was always going to fall back. She comes into her own a little bit more after Mrs Norris has left, and certainly in her welcome of Fanny. I always thought it was a little disloyal of her to turn her affection so completely to Susan. 
And so much so that Jane Austen says that Susan was probably the favourite. But I think it took time. Epilogue chapter doesn't necessarily suggest it was in... That's a good point. It's just that it is only one chapter. But I would suggest it would still be within a couple of years before that would happen because there's no way Fanny was going to be marrying Edmund immediately. And Susan was lively. And so she... She was probably quite entertaining for Lady Bertram. And she'd have that wonder about her and capable very capable. I can see why, and I can certainly see why some books would suggest that she goes on to marry Tom. Because she's got her place. Because, of course, once her Thomas dies, and or Lady Bertram, where is the place for Susan anymore? Presumably she would go and live with Edmund and Fanny. Oh, she'd be welcome there if that was the case. Although hopefully they don't have a lot of children, so therefore there is room for Susan. But you can't control these things in those days so you just have bunches of children and I could also imagine Sir Thomas would leave her some form of bequest because he's that sort of responsible sort of a person and in fact he does say that by having Fanny live with him he's taken responsibility for her I wonder who Mrs Norris's money went to in the end Mariah who else would get it but if they hated each other so much at the end would it not be a lovely spiteful thing to do to not leave Mariah her money And that is our overall discussion of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of... The Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa, New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice, heavily Pride-focused merch, too. It's on Redbubble, and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!